Welcome to Unleashing Your Great Work, a podcast about doing the work that matters the most to you. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Kroll, a cognitive psychologist, speaker, coach, and the creator of the Aligned Time Journals. Every week on this podcast, we are asking the big questions. What is great work and why does it matter so much to us? What does it take to do more of your great work without sacrificing everything else? And how does the world change when more people are doing more of the work that matters the most to them? Whether your great work is building your own small business or managing a remote team at a multinational company, you'll find insight and answers here. I'm such an old person. I like to talk about the weather and discuss how unbelievable it is that time passes so quickly. So let's do a little bit of that together, shall we? This week, I'm creating the 12th episode of Unleashing Your Great Work. A dozen episodes are out there in the world, entertaining dozens of people. Actually, according to my statistics, I have 400 listeners. That's not nothing. I have to tell you, overall, having a podcast has been a really fun experience, and I've become somewhat of an evangelist. To all my blogger friends out there who don't want to do video, podcasting is a truly great middle ground. It gives people a chance to really know you without having to do your makeup, which is win-win. And maybe most importantly, over the past 12 episodes, I've learned some things about great work. When I put the podcast together, I already had a lot of ideas about what great work is, how it works, what it looks like, and how it feels. But I've been excited by how much I've learned from the guests. Today, I'd like to share six lessons I've learned over the past 12 episodes of Unleashing Your Great Work. Let's do it. The first one is, it turns out that great work is hard to claim. Even the greatest people, among us mere mortals, Stop a little when they're asked, what is your great work? And they wonder, is it great work? Am I doing great work? I'm sure I could be doing more of it, but is what I'm doing even great? Am I great? So many of my guests have explicitly said this to me, usually just before we get started. Some of them have said that preparing for their interview really like threw them for a loop and made them stop and consider who they were, what they wanted for their life. And these are people that I admire, who I would go to the mattresses over, like, declaring that their work is great work. And I think it was thinking about this that allowed our conversations to go so deeply, so quickly. And for that, I'm really grateful. But here's what I have to say to them and to you and in my moments of vulnerability to myself as well. We are already doing great work. We are. Our job is to do more of it. Which is to say, to do more of what excites us. And it comes from our experiences and our insights. To do it in community with people who value what we value. And to leave our world a little better than we found it. Of course we can do more of that. Every last one of us could do more. And every last one of us is absolutely doing some of that now. Which is actually a great segue to the second thing I've learned about great work doing this podcast. And that's that great work has movement. Great work, because it keeps us on our evolving edge, changes. It was great work in the beginning, and it's great work now. And yet, it's different. 
it shifts and changes over time. And sometimes it shifts and changes radically. Take Mike Ganino from episode 11, for example. He was a restaurant executive turned speaker turned coach. Alyssa from episode three was a bureaucrat running an integrative health clinic at the VA. And then she turned to private practice therapist. And then she turned into an intuitive business coach. Trish from episode five ran a green energy store for 30 years before doing the coaching and speaking and launching a movement that she's doing now. Linda Ugalo from episode seven was a farmer. And yet none of these experiences were irrelevant. Each and every one of those experiences are brought forward into who we are now, currently showing up in our great work. This has been a wonderful realization for me because I've struggled at times to show up as my complete self because I know that I confuse people. I am 100% committed to school change. I have deep, wide, and passionate opinions about education, teacher preparation, school change, the epidemic of math readiness, on and on it goes. And right alongside that, I help accidental entrepreneurs to acknowledge they have a business and ease into the work of marketing and sales. And I speak to colleges and corporations about great work, and I'm trying to change our perception of the world of work and our place in it. To a lot of people, all that sounds really disparate. To me, on the other hand, it feels like home. I have cared. I do care. I will always care about all of these things. And it works for me because great work isn't like a soulmate where everything is on the line with this one commitment. And if you stray from this single commitment, you are betraying your great work. It's not like that. Instead, Great work, when it's done right, is more like a best friend. Your job is to show up for your great work. Bring all your joy and your enthusiasm and your honest conversation. And when great work says, I want to go do that random thing, you just update your damn LinkedIn and you go do it. That, for me at least, is what makes it fun. Now, of course, it means that I'm struggling not to do a million things at once, which actually brings me to the next thing I've learned about doing great work. Great work really tends to involve overworking, and we all need reminders to stop. This reminds me of a moment in Alyssa's interview in episode three, where she was telling a story of someone who came to work with her in private practice therapy and asked her to help her be less tired. But she wanted to be less tired without stopping her 100-hour work week while still going to grad school and working out five times a week and only sleeping four hours a night. She wanted to do all of that, but also be less tired. So Alyssa said, so you want me to help you be a robot? And yes, yes, we do. This person, with her ridiculous request, is all of us. When you are doing great work, you need help refocusing on the competitive advantage of resilience. This has been a really calming and quite galvanizing for me to realize how utterly widespread overworking in the name of great work is. I yammer on about this all day, every day, and I still struggle with it. I handle it. I take, I force myself to take breaks. 
I force myself to stop working. I refuse to work on weekends. And this is because I'm 100% convinced of my argument. And I've seen the way that taking these breaks and protecting my resilience changes the caliber and the speed of my great work. But oh, it's hard. And it's nice to know I'm not alone. And it makes me even more committed to helping myself and others figure out how to do great work without sacrificing everything else. Which brings us directly to the next lesson that I've learned. Great work must be enjoyable or it immediately gets too serious and that quickly gets old. When the work we are doing feels really serious, like it matters and it's important and everyone needs to take it very seriously, we lose track of why we're doing it in the first place. This can cause us to subvert our work away from greatness towards guarantees. Focusing on doing it right instead of following the call of great work. Trish Blaine says that we have to be driven by original desire and prioritize what makes us feel alive. I think it keeps us from ruining our lives and sacrificing every good thing in the name of our great work. Either way, we win when we make sure that we're doing things in a way that we enjoy. And listen, the meta aspect of me saying that we all need to figure out how to not overcomplicate things and make everything so serious is an exact example of the next lesson. Great work often involves teaching what we ourselves needed to learn. So many of my guests have shared that their great work started out as something they personally struggled with. They struggled with speaking confidently and now they help others speak confidently. They felt unseen as a minority student at school and so they've worked for decades to bring the focus back to student voice. They struggled when they first learned how to manage teams so they help others who are struggling with the same things. And it makes a lot of sense from where I sit. As I mentioned, I have worked for years in teacher preparation, teaching aspiring teachers about psychology. And I've noticed a huge difference in how effective teachers are based on whether they have a natural affinity for what they've learned. Because if you learn something quickly and without any struggle, you're not usually a great teacher. This is because you have no idea what went into learning your craft. When you struggle, on the other hand, and you work at it, and you watch yourself overcome challenge, you can develop some really solid theories about what's likely to go wrong and how to get around those things. And it's that kind of knowledge, what we call pedagogical content knowledge in the teacher prep field, or knowledge about what it takes to learn something. It's that knowledge that makes you a great coach, a great teacher, and a better consultant, and certainly a better manager. The final lesson that I've learned about having a podcast is that it's fun. You know, at first when I was thinking about starting a podcast, all I could think about were the technical hurdles. I was consumed by thoughts like, how does a podcast get from my computer to the internet? And like, what is SEO for podcasts? And how do you get people to listen to a podcast? So I was sort of taken by surprise that it was so fun to do. The solo episodes like this one are quite a lot like writing a blog, something I've loved doing for decades. But it has this added performative aspect of recording it, which I didn't think would delight me, but it does. And I've enjoyed adding like little bits and pieces to episodes to see how they work, like a sound effect in the first episode or doing voices in the episode on getting out of the box and trying interesting elements that just aren't there in a written blog. 
Now, some of these elements, like I think the retrospective on Jim Henson from the second episode, I think it really worked well. And there were other things that did not work. Like there were these law and order, like Kung Kung style chapter headers that I tried once. And they literally startled me when I listened to it. So I took them out immediately. But even so, it was fun to play. All of this is to say here at the end of my dozen episode retrospective that I like having a podcast and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. Thank you for joining me today on the Unleashing Your Great Work podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And hey, don't forget to check out the Align Time Journal. You need support to get started. Stay at it and unleash your great work out into the world. See you next time.